to the song that the choir just sung are on page 17 of your worship guide, if you're interested. A piece that was written by Mozart. How many pieces of Mozart have you heard sung in a Baptist church? Perhaps a first, yeah, thank you, CJ, zero. Yeah. I'd like to encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and look with me to the book of Psalms, the Psalms, and together we're going to reflect this week on Psalm 66, Psalm 66 this week, and next week we're going to be at Psalm 68. Yes, we did skip 67, but we'll come back to 67 in August. Psalm 66 this week. You'll notice right from the very beginning of Psalm 66, Psalm 66 is a psalm of of praise. It's a psalm of thanksgiving. It's a psalm of reflecting on God's work and history past and what God has done in the life and among the life of the nation of Israel. Israel. But it's not only a call for the nation of Israel herself to praise the Lord. It's a call for all peoples to praise the Lord. We don't know from the context of this psalm, the writer of this psalm, or the specific event to which the psalm is calling the nation of Israel to give praise, yet this psalm indeed causes or calls the nation of Israel to come together with shouts of joy, with, with praise. There are several different words in the Hebrew that are used here that elicit this call to to praise. You see it here in verse 1, for example, shout. Another, verse 2, sing. And verse 2, give. Verse 3, say to God. All of these words are words of praise, words that call the nation of Israel to give thanks, to worship God for what God has indeed accomplished on her behalf. And we learn from this text that believers should give thanks to God for his faithfulness to his people and his graciousness to us individually. We should give thanks corporately. Worship should be a corporate expression. This is what we do on a weekly basis as we come together on Sundays. We corporately worship. We corporately give thanks. We come together as a collection of a group of people whose hearts and lives have been radically transformed by the gospel, and we give praise. And this is what the psalmist is calling us to do here in Psalm 66, verses 1 through 12. This is a corporate call to worship. In fact, In verses 1 through 12, the psalmist tells us that believers' public praise for God's faithfulness is a call for all peoples to praise God. Part of what we're doing in the context of even this gathering is publicly praising God, and that public praise even serves for one who's not a believer as a means of communicating the goodness and the greatness of God. There's a reason why we give thanks and praise God, and we declare that through praise. And God uses that praise to bring people to himself. In fact, this was the task that God had given to the nation of Israel. Ultimately, 
as he called this group of people to himself, they bore the responsibility, they were tasked with the responsibility of making God's name known among the nations. And of course, we know the story of of the nation of Israel. They fell miserably in that task, and God has now called to us, to himself, a new people, his church, and we bear that same responsibility of making the name of God known among all nations. And so we start here in verse 1 with this call to publicly praise the Lord, and you see here in verses 1 through 4 that there is a call for all people to praise God's sovereign reign. Look how the psalmist declares it, shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to your name. They sing praises to your name. You'll notice throughout these first four verses, there are a number of repetitions. For example, verses one and two, those three lines, shout for joy, sing the glory of his name, give to him glorious praise. And then here at the end, all the earth worships you and sings praises to your name. They sing praises to your name. The author is using this repetition that occurs throughout the Psalms as a means of emphasis of one's right response to the Lord. It is right for you and I to come together as the people of God and to reflect corporately on what God has done for us. In fact, you don't see it necessarily in your English Bibles, but in the Hebrew, you would see it. In fact, we might give it a Southern translation. Y'all shout for joy. Y'all sing to the glory of his name. Y'all give to him glorious praise. Y'all say to God, how awesome are your deeds. This is a call for the corporate body to worship to give thanks to God for what he has done. And what's the primary means by which the psalmist is calling us to worship in the context of this passage of scripture? By singing. Friends, if there's one thing we see throughout the psalms, the psalms function in large measure as a hymn book for the nation of Israel. They were a people whose faith was enriched through singing. And whether you can sing or I can sing, whether the nation of Israel could sing or not sing, we bear a responsibility as believers to worship the Lord through song. And notice what the psalmist says as he reflects on what God has done. Verse 3, say to God, how awesome are your deeds? As I reflect on the awesome deeds of God, what is a natural response for the people of God to do as they reflect on those deeds? Sing. Shout. Worship. 
give him glorious praise. Praise that is due to him. Praise that is owed to him. We come together and specifically focus our worship upon one. We're not here on any given Sunday for you or for me. We're here for one. We're not here to ultimately say thank you to our wonderful Sunday school teacher or to a deacon who served us well during this week or to someone who showed up and visited us in the hospital. We're ultimately here to offer our praise, our adorations, our shouts for joy to the Lord. For there is only one who is worthy of our praise. And notice how verses one through four begins. Verse one, to whom is the object of this praise called? Who is the psalmist calling to praise the Lord? Verse one, all the earth. Look at verse four. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Reminds us of a well-known passage of scripture in Philippians chapter two, does it not? Paul, in reflecting upon the work of Christ, images Jesus not only in his incarnation, but also in his eternal reign. And Paul reminds us that there is coming a day when every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. See, friends, our worship, our communication of how good, of how great, of how glorious God is, is indeed a call to even unbelievers to join us in the worship of this triune God. It's no wonder so many churches are dead and ineffective because their worship is dead and ineffective. There is no joy. There is no passionate thankfulness flowing out of the hearts of God's people for the work that he has accomplished on our behalf. God uses the corporate gathering of his people to make much of Jesus. And when we sing here on a Sunday morning, when we sing the glory of his name, as we give to him glorious praise, as we shout for joy, yes, even in that moment, we are calling those who do not believe to join us in the praise of one who alone is worthy. But notice what happens here in verse five through verse 12. The psalmist reflects upon the fact that believers praise God for his sovereign reign. Verse five, come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land. 
They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. Who has kept our soul among the living? And who has not let our feet slip? For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net, as our, my ESV translation says, or the concept here is into a prison. You brought us into prison. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, but the end of verse 12, yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. Notice what the psalmist is doing here as he thinks about God's sovereign reign. He's not only rejoicing in the incredible providence of God and bringing them to salvation. We see that through the language of them crossing dry land at the Red Sea, but we also see it through them celebrating God's provision for them and giving them the promised land. They cross over the Jordan or through the Jordan on what? Dry land. The psalmist not only reflects back on these incredible acts of God in terms of providing salvation and being faithful to his word and giving provision, but notice what the psalmist even says, oh God, we're even going to praise you for your sovereign care when we were rebellious to you and you led us into captivity and through that captivity, you refined us. You purified us. You made us holy. See friends, it's easy for the majority of us to reflect back, if you will, on Psalm 66 verses five through seven and say, yes, how great and how glorious is it that God provides salvation for his people. That's something all of us can rejoice in, right? We love to shout, To God be the glory, great things he has done. We love to reflect on Jesus' atoning work on the cross. We love to reflect and give thanks to God that he is faithful to his word, that he is going to provide for his people. And this is exactly what the psalmist is doing. He turned, verse 6, the sea into dry land, and they passed through the river on foot. There did they rejoice in him. We'll come back to Exodus chapter 15 in the fall, and we're going to start there with the song of Moses. And as Moses reflects on what God has done for them and walking over dry land, how does Moses exclaim what God has done in Exodus chapter chapter 15? The Lord will reign how long? Forever and ever. This is what the psalmist is doing here. He's reflecting on the sovereign reign of God. This is a reign Moses reminds us of that will last forever and ever. God is worthy to be praised in providing salvation. He's worthy to be praised in that he has provided for us. He's given us provision. He's faithful to his word. 
but God is even to be praised, friends, for the adversity that we experience in life. Now notice for the psalmist here, he's very clear what this adversity is due. What is the cause of the adversity for the psalmist? The sinfulness of the nation of Israel. But let's be careful as we think about our own adversity. How do we know that the psalmist is giving praise to God for the nation of Israel being taken captive and that captivity was due to their own sin? The text of Scripture tells us. Be careful when we cast judgment against various individuals or groups or nations that we automatically assume that what's at play here is a work of a sovereign God due to the sinfulness of individual people or a collection of people, whether a church or a nation. Yet, neither can we discount the fact that what's at play is the sinfulness of humanity. In fact, friends, theologically speaking, you and I must live our lives with an understanding that everything that ails the human heart and our bodies is directly connected to the sinfulness of humanity. We age, and in that aging problem, in that aging process, we develop problems. Ultimately, why? Sin. And so we pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. The psalmist here is recounting a very specific event in verses 8 through 12 in the life of the nation of Israel, in which the nation of Israel, they were tested. They were led into prison. They were held captive. And what did that captivity do for them? What did that enslavement do for them? Notice what the text of Scripture says. Verse 10, For you, O God, have tested us, You have tried us as silver is tried. You have brought us into prison. You laid a crushing crushing burden on our backs. He's saying ultimately what Isaiah said to the people in Isaiah chapter 51, God has removed his protection from his people so that they might be refined so that they might be chastised. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Yet God has marvelously provided for his people. Yet you, God, have brought us out to a place of abundance. They went through the fire. They went through the trials. They were purified. They were made holy. Listen at Peter as he reflects on this in 1 Peter chapter 1. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, 
you have been grieved by various trials for what purpose? So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in what? Praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter is saying the exact same thing the psalmist is saying here. Yes, even in those moments of incredible trial and tribulation. Some due to our own making. Some due to the sinfulness of Adam and Eve in the garden. Some due to the sinfulness of others. But even there, in that moment, God is at work. Can you rejoice in those moments, friends? What was the temptation of the nation of Israel when they found themselves in a similar situation? To complain to point the finger at God, Habakkuk chapter one, verses one through four. To blame others. And we hear the passionate plea of the apostle Paul in Philippians to do all things without what? Complaining or grumbling. It's easy friends to offer praise to God in a Psalm 66 verses five through seven scenario, isn't it? Isn't it? It's a completely different thing to shout for joy when you feel imprisoned. When you face life's adversity. But nevertheless, yes, even in the midst of that, the psalmist is calling the nation of Israel to collectively give thanks to God. Why? He knows God is ultimately faithful to his word. The end of verse 12, yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. See, friends, for those who go through the fiery trial correctly, for those who go through the trial and are purified, for those who go through the trial and are refined like silver, for those who go through the fire and come out on the other, other end and are that purified gold, for those who faithfully endure to the end, they shall hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into thy rest. How are you journeying through the trials of life? Are you willing to give God thanks in the middle of that? 
Are you willing to continue to keep your eyes focused on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith? Or have you placed your eyes on your circumstances such that you can't see the place of abundance? The psalmist calls us as believers to corporately give praise to God for his deeds. We collectively bear a responsibility to worship God. When we gather, regardless of the circumstances, we ought to shout, we ought to sing, we ought to say, we ought to use our mouths as an instrument of praise to a great and glorious God. But notice what happens beginning in verse 13. In fact, you see it from the very first English word uttered. What's the pronoun in verse 13? So we move from the plural to the singular. Psalm 66 is a perfect combining of what your and my life should look like lived in faithfulness before the Lord. Psalm 66 shows us that we have a responsibility to corporately offer praise to God for his faithfulness. But individually, we too bear a responsibility for offering praise to God for his graciousness, for his goodness. We might say it this way, Corporate praise is not sufficient. Individual praise is not sufficient. But corporate praise and individual praise are both sufficient. This is how God has woven us together. This past week, I read an article by some sociologists that were reviewing Uh, the American religious landscape, and particularly in conjunction with political engagement. And what they've done is they've gone to several uh, events, political events, and they're, they're interviewing people. And they're particularly targeting people who are holding religious signs. And what they're finding is that the overwhelming majority of people who claim to be conservative politically and are at political rallies with signs, religious signs, are people who do not go to church. There's a disconnection in our culture. Part of it, friends, has to do with the making of the American mindset. We are, at the end of the day, hardcore individualist. So it drives us, in some ways, to this concept that I don't need you, and you don't need me. But Psalm 66 would have been a psalm that would have been used in the context of what? 
the corporate gathering of the people of God. So it would have served as a reminder to the nation of Israel that they bear both of these responsibilities. In fact, this is what we see going all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter six, for example. We bear responsibility individually in the context of our homes to be worshiping the Lord, to be communicating the truths of of who God is. And so the psalmist writes this in reflection of individual praise. I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you, that which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. I will offer to you burnt offerings of fattened animals with the smoke of the sacrifice of rams. I will make an offering of bulls and goats. Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. I cried out to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened, but truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love for me. When we think of what God has accomplished, the psalmist reminds us in verses 13 and 15 that it always will lead to the worship of God. And you hear the worship in this context. I will come where? Into your house. And what's he going to do when he comes into the house? Worship through sacrifice. What's he going to do when he comes into the house? I'm going to use my mouth to do what? Praise you. Verse 15, I'm going to make sacrifices again. I will offer to you burnt offerings with the smoke of the sacrifice of rams. And so friends, yes, we come into this place and we corporately express our trust and faith and hope in God. Yes, we come into this place and we participate in the Lord's Supper, and the Lord's Supper is not an individual expression. It is a corporate expression. And so we corporately reaffirm the faith of each other and point others to the atoning work of Christ. And yet, while we do all of those things corporately, they are also individual. a reflection of each individual's heart and posture before a holy, righteous, good God. So the psalmist is not only concerned with the private worship that he will offer, verses 13 through 15, but verses 16 through 20, this private worship is not something we do individually either. Come and hear who? All. This worship leads to worship before God's people. When I'm worshiping God rightly individually, I will always worship corporately 
with God's people. Every week, we come together and we corporately express the goodness and the greatness of God. Take your worship guide for just a few moments. And look at verse four with me. What are we doing with this hymn, Behold Our God? We are corporately expressing God's incredible acts. Yes, we're singing this to the Lord, but we're also singing this to one another. Who has held the oceans in his hands? Who has numbered every grain of sand? Kings and nations tremble at his voice. All creation rises to rejoice. Behold, our God seated on his throne. Come, let us adore him. What do we do with the song found on page 10 to God be the glory? We're reflecting upon God's glorious acts. Verse two, oh perfect redemption, the purchase of blood to every believer, the promise of God. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth Hear his voice. Every Sunday morning, we corporately come together and make a confession of faith of God's goodness. But in the context of this corporate gathering, how often do we stop and take a moment to individually reflect? and give thanks to God for what he's done. How often do you as an individual say to another individual, here's how God has been working and moving in my life. Here is how God has answered prayers for me, for my family. We've done the corporate this morning I'd like for us to close by doing the individual. Might you be willing this morning just to take a moment? I'm not asking for a five minute testimony. Would you take a minute or two? And would you be willing this morning to give a testimony of God's graciousness? To you. I'm going to ask Abram. He's going to take this mic. And Abram, we're going to start with your daddy. He volunteered. I saw his hand over there. We're going to start with Rob for an individual testimony of God's greatness.
Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Rob. Anybody else else like to give a public testimony of God's goodness and greatness to you or your family? Miss Peggy Batts here in the back.
Thank you, Miss Peggy. We love you, and we're so glad you're here. And I'm always thankful every time I talk to you. You're so willing, even through some difficult trials over the last few years, to give thanks to the Lord. So thank you for publicly testifying to the goodness of God. Uh, right here, Abram, Mr. Carlos. Now you guys know how this is going. We had somebody on this section, somebody here, somebody here. It's coming over here next, okay? Now, hold on, Brother Carlos. I got to tell what happened. He was a paratrooper. He jumped out of one side of the plane. His partner jumped out of the other side of the plane, and their parachutes got caught underneath the plane. He said his, his parachute would deflate, and his friends would inflate, and his would deflate, and then his would inflate all the way down. Amen, brother. Amen, brother. Thank you for that. Someone else? Right over here, miss. Oh, go ahead, Paul. Right behind him, Mr. Rowland. Amen. 
Miss Katie McBride over here. Thank you, Katie. Anyone else? Thank you, Elijah. I love you, buddy.
Let's pray. God, with hearts full of gratitude and thankfulness, we do exclaim this morning that you are good and you do good. We declare that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. We know that everything we have in life is from you. As we reflect on this text of Scripture, Lord, enrich in the praise of your people at Woodlawn. Do it among us corporately. May we desire the gathering of God's people. May you put it in our hearts to sing, to shout, to say. For in doing so, Lord, we make your name known. Would you take a few moments where you're seated this morning and just respond and reflect upon the preaching of God's word? Are you faithful this morning in corporate worship? Do you desire to be here? Is it a priority for you? If not, would you confess that before the Lord this morning and ask Him to change your desires, to grant you a joy and a passion for gathering with the people of God? How are you walking as an individual? Are you doing that faithfully? In just a moment, we're going to stand and corporately respond to the preaching of God's Word. As we stand, perhaps you have questions about what it means to trust in Christ. Myself and Pastor Travis will be down front. We'll be glad to share with you how you can trust in Christ. Perhaps you'd like one of us just to pray with you that God would deepen your desire for worship. For corporate worship, for individual worship, we would delight in shepherding your heart by praying for you. Or thirdly, maybe God has impressed upon your heart that this is a congregation in which you need to be connected to live out your life on mission with Christ. This would be an opportunity for you to express your interest in being part of this faith family. God, as we respond to you now, we ask that our responses might be pleasing to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us?